Welcome to the People Planet Profit Podcast. I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School, and today I'm joined by Downer's Group Environment and Sustainability Manager, Ross Brookshaw. Ross is a qualified environmental engineer who has been in the construction industry for 20 years in environmental risk management and management system roles for a variety of companies and projects. He's particularly pleased with the relatively recent focus on decarbonisation, as well as the use of science and emission data to influence company strategy and spend, product development, and how we respond to community expectation. Welcome, Ross. Thank you very much, Hayley. Very pleased to be here and slightly excited. Well, we have to turn that up a little bit. Let's <laughs> dial that right up to 11 because I'm sure that our listeners are probably as excited to listen to you as you are to speak. Um, and I suppose I've asked, I've, I've sort of prepped Ross with a few questions to um, to think about before we join today because it's sort of touching base with a sustainability professional. Um, look, you are you are the goods right now, right? Like so people are looking for sustainability professionals, especially people with your level of experience who have worked with EMS systems, who have, um, you know, done internal audits around 19, uh, I say 14,001. You know, you sort of, you can look at a system and pretty much know how it's going to fail. You've been working in the response to that for years. So I suppose there's a, there's a few things out there that um, people are just starting to work in this space um, and they should, you know, are sort of looking at the the full spectrum of everything of what sustainability means, not just the environment, but everything as well. Um, and are looking at a market at the moment where there's hot demand for this. So often people are sort of stepping in that might be slightly underqualified for roles because, quite frankly, there's no one else to do it. So anyone's better than no one in a lot of these different areas. Um, and they're looking to experts in the field to try and help guide their career development. So the first question, which is a really, really long-winded introduction to the first question, <laughs> but sort of like what's three things that you think every sustainability professional should know? Well, thank you for that. Um, number one is a bit different. I... I think sustainability professionals, and I feel it right now, it's a huge, huge responsibility. We've got a responsibility to improve future generations' lives. And I don't say that lightly. And I say it with, I, I guess, a, a lot of really qualified professionals' history in this space. History of talking to governments talking to companies and talking to individuals that there is a real need to reduce uh, emissions into our atmosphere and stop climate change, or at least reduce it as far as possible. So there's a hell of a lot of work to be has completed already, and it's about us now and newbies coming in, taking that mantle on and showing real passion uh, to to deliver on sustainable outcomes. Uh, the second one, um, sustainability is extremely broad, as you say, Hayley. Uh, I think I think materiality assessments are, are, are the number one thing that sustainability professionals should really get a hold of. Being able to drill down from that broad base into uh, sustainability actions that are meaningful and can make some real change from a company or an individual from a government perspective. And the third one is don't breach your values. 
I think if if you're going into sustainability, you're really passionate. You want to make change. You want to save the world like I do. Don't breach your values under any circumstance. We want you to stay in your profession forever. We want you to be really making impactful change right across Australia. And I think what I see a lot of is sustainability professionals exiting, um, particularly construction. Um, I And what I would like to say to all the new ones coming in is just whatever you do, don't breach your values. Keep fighting the good fight. They're the three, Hayley. They're really good ones, actually. And if I can touch base on a few of them as well, I think that, you know, uh, young people are renowned for having passionate views on things. So I think that stepping into this field is is making sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And and then touching base, I'm going to talk about um, materiality assessments as well because I think that's really important. Values piece I think is exceptional and I think that that's probably true for all professionals, not just sustainability professionals in this space. I think that um, especially now a lot of people are choosing jobs because it for much bigger reasons than a paycheck. You know, and certainly um, when I started working in sustainability, I found I don't think you can go back to not working for purpose in a way. Like it's really understanding um, what those impacts are and why they're important to you and then making sure that's what it is. And I think that I think sort of a precursor to that one, Ross, might be to, to find out what your values are. Because I think that, you know, as a 20-year-old and as a 30-year-old and now as a 40-year-old, I think that even sort of really looking and defining what are my values and they do change, um, my priorities have changed and being knowing what what is true to myself so that I can stick to them is almost part A of that challenge, right, is just sort of figuring yeah, out exactly definitely. what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm the same, Hayley. I um I've changed considerably my values over time. I think biodiversity has really stepped up in my world, including volunteering for land care over the last five years and then becoming secretary of secretary of our local land care. Uh, you wouldn't have seen me do that uh, probably 20 years ago, but now, yeah, um, um, my values have definitely changed in that respect. And also um, the social aspects of sustainability. Um, uh, I And I think it's just, I've learned a whole lot more about uh, what we can actually do as a society. And, um, and that has really changed my values a whole lot as well. Like, um, like even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have known that modern slavery exists and then to see how prevalent it can be if you make the wrong choices is uh, alarming um yeah so your values definitely can change over time yeah absolutely and so i'm going to double back now um i think we could talk for another hour about you know picking your values and sticking with them um and especially being people who have worked in the construction industry i've worked in the steel manufacturing industry both of those industries would most from the outside would look like very heavy polluting industries um you know lots of carbon emissions lots of other environmental impacts around uh like land mass and a lot of other different areas both have amazing challenges ahead of it um to decarbonize 
Um, and so other people might be looking at our roles and thinking, hey, but you two are completely sold out. Like you've worked in those industries. So how is that holding true to your values? And I know that you've probably got a good response to this, but I always say it's much easier to change from inside the gate um, than to be banging on it from the outside. But what's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that I've sold out. Um, but no, you're absolutely correct. Um, it's, it's, you kind of need both, but but I've found that I want to make change from inside. Uh, if if I can develop really strong relationships with uh, the decision makers within um, those industries, uh, you can you can enact change and pass on your values uh, to those key decision makers. So instead of making one change, you can make a lifetime of change with that individual. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I do in myself prefer to be on the inside. But, you, but I mean, you can make change from the outside as well. So what I'm going to now um, sort of cut back in and talk to you about is materiality assessments, because I think that you're dead on. That is one skill set that I don't hear people talk enough about. Um, and I think that as the as the world evolves and the uh, it seems as though sustainability is an ever-increasing beast, I think everyone working in the field would know it was always that big. Everyone's just sort of come to realise it. Um, but you're right, there's a lot of things that can pull you in a lot of directions and you sort of touched and mentioned them as well around, um, you know, there's a stack of environmental issues, there's climate change, there's modern slavery, there's diversity, inclusion and respect social issues, there's water scarcity and floods. Um, sometimes in the same day. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and then you sort of, you can really look at that whole thing and think, oh, my goodness, there is so much that we could, should be doing. Um, and usually you, everyone talks about this, that they're massively re resource constrained. So you can't, you don't have enough money to spend on different projects. Your time is limited on different projects. Um, you touched on people leaving the industry. I think a lot of people burn out because they want to try and save everything and, and do too much um, rather than be content with what, you know, impact they can make. Um, and so I suppose you, and you touched on that materiality assessment of really sort of drilling into what things can make meaningful changes. What sort of tools and resources do you use to determine what's material? Uh, so we use a few. Um, I, I quite like the sustainable development goals and I use them across all levels of DANA at the moment. We do a corporate materiality assessment, we do business unit materiality assessments, and we do project materiality assessments. And, and that for the whole purpose of distilling what is really critical that we have to improve on, and where can we make the biggest bang? Where can we have the biggest bang for our buck? Um, so the sustainable development goals are a great starting point because they're really visual for those that don't quite understand what sustainability is or the breadth of sustainability. Yeah. Um, but 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 that still leaves you pretty wide um, still, even if you delve into like um, uh, climate change, for example. Uh, there's still a lot. Uh, how, that's still a broad bucket, I guess. So, so what we would do, and depends on the audience and uh, the um, outcome you want, we will come up with really specific questions or questionnaire or further discussion within a material um, 
uh, working group, materiality assessment working group, where we'll, we'll drill down into even further detail on top of that. Um, we use the ISCA tool as well, um, and the broad headings out of the ISCA tool, particularly for projects, uh, which I find is, um, is really beneficial particularly when you get some really passionate project managers or sustainability professionals that want to achieve 100%. And that's where you start to see that burnout because you can't achieve 100% um, sometimes with the effort and the money that's involved in the back end. So, yeah. And so, Sherry, yeah. just to clarify for everybody listening, the ISCA tool is the, um, the infrastructure sustainability rating tool that's um, uh, administered by the Infrastructure Sustainability Council. It used to be Infrastructure Sustainability Council of Australia and now they've dropped the Australia because they genuinely are across Australia and New Zealand. But Ross and I are old school and I will always call it ISCA because I worked there when it was ISCA. <laughs> but for everybody else listening, if you're trying to look out for that tool, it's the IS Rating Schemes Materiality Assessment. It's one of the things you do at the very front end of when you're putting a rating in to determine which credits are the most material for you. Sorry to interrupt. What's your third one, Bruce? Um, it might surprise you, Haley, that we also um, uh, send people to your website to read up on some of those material issues and, and watch your training sessions as well. Because I, I feel one of the improvements that can be made across all materiality assessment is making sure the audience fully understands what you're talking about. So the Supply Chain Sustainability School is great in that respect. I'm not surprised at all. I'll spend a lot of time on it, but, um, you know, sometimes even I have to go back and look over things that when you're in the moment of it, um, that's a little bit embarrassing when it's my voiceover that's actually telling me again what I need to do about things. But you're right, even if you do know this stuff, going back and just refreshing yourself on exactly what it means and the details and what it is and what it isn't is really important um, during that decision phase as well, um, especially when, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. Um, so it's good to be able to focus in on exactly what the issues are so that you can make informed decisions. So thanks for that. I love the plug. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to be able to do that too. So I think that's just to round that out because I know that I, I very rudely interrupted Ross there, but the three tools that he was saying were look at the SDGs and they've got the 2030 goals and targets there, um, use the IS rating tool, uh, materiality assessment and checking out the Supply Chain Sustainability School website. So then touching, I'm going to drill into a specific aspect of sustainability that's a bit of a hot topic at the moment, and that's around circular economy. So there's a lot of people in the circular economy that are pushing for as-a-service offerings. So for those that haven't heard of um, as-a-service offerings, essentially what it's saying is that you don't actually buy something and then take ownership of it. What you do is actually you're buying the service um, and that the physical things are owned by something else and maintaining them. So um, it's kind of like a like you you rent an office space rather than buy an office space. You rent um, a, a car instead of buying a car, but it sort of takes it to a new, a new level. So you can sort of, I would like to rent 20 lumens of light between the hours of nine and five in this particular space. And then the, the, the service provider provides that solution to your needs in whatever way uh, 
way that they can see fit. And the the benefits of that type of system have been sprouted as, well, they're going to put in place um, really good quality things because they're going to have to maintain them over the time. They're not just selling you a light bulb, but then you have to replace and maintain, try and claim warranty details for the ownership is then back on the lighting company to provide that solution. Um, and I'm not just waxing lyrical about random sustainability things here. I think the, the question is for Ross and even working with Downer is that um, often there's sort of like maintenance contracts. There's sort of, you know, construct and maintain contracts. There's different things that are available within the construction industry and have been for a while. And we wouldn't necessarily have called them as a service offerings, but there certainly has been the construct and maintain offerings um, in place. Um, and so what benefits have you seen um, what sustainability benefits have you seen sort of in that the road rail maintenance industry of when you get to maintain um, an asset after you've constructed it um, for the long run? Yeah, uh, there has been quite a few. There is heaps of benefits. Um, so, so, so what we're talking about is uh, you can get a contract that's really prescriptive. It tells you exactly what you have to do, when to do it, how to do it. Um, and then that contract could last for 10 years. So it doesn't really take into account uh, anything that changes. Whereas uh, as a service, you are, uh, I, I guess you've got a whole lot more flexibility to be able to deliver outcomes, the same outcome or better, with different services or products. And I, one of our road maintenance contracts, um, we had an as of service um, offering to us, uh, line marking. So generally speaking, uh, you re-line mark every 12 months, for example. Uh, what we did was we were able to change the, um, the requirements because what we wanted was a line mark to maintain its reflectivity for as long as possible. Um, so what we did was we we changed the requirements and said, well, can you give us something that lasts at least 12 months and you'll get uh, potentially bonuses if it lasts longer? And we had outcomes with line marking lasted way longer than 12 months. And what's the benefits of that? That's that's less fuel that we're using out on the network. It's less um, dis disruption to the community. Um, it's less materials that we're using. Um, and, and just, it seems so simple, but that one example can be applied right across every product or service that we use on a road network. And the, and the benefits are potentially huge. And that's what we're seeing, or I've seen in the last 10 years of multiple examples like that. And um, and just to plug maintenance, uh, a lot of people focus on, on construction, but if you can implement 10 or so of those initiatives, that changes 50 years worth of, um, of resource use. So it can be potentially huge. Yeah, I, I I completely echo everything that you've just said because I think that most people don't even appreciate exactly how much goes into 
a road, most people would have no idea how often the lines get marked. Um, but they will all notice when they get stopped as to slow down as they go past someone who's getting <laughs> when it's being remarked. Um, and just to even think about like all of the diesel and all of the vehicles that are driving around marking those lines, not to mention the actual embodied impacts of all of the materials that are being used to mark the roads, all of the embodied impacts of the materials of the equipment being used to pay to make those roads. I think when you start to then draw that out, you know, there's less mileage in all those vehicles, which means those vehicles have a longer shelf life. There's less impact. There's less wear and tear. There's less tyres they need to purchase. There's less, you know, all of that that sort of goes into, and it's just a road. And most people would think that a road would look fairly simple, right? Like it stays down. And, and like you said, people whinge when it doesn't work, right? Well, there's potholes everywhere. All yes, the they roads do. being washed away. <laughs> yeah. But if if you then put out and say, hey, look, what am, what am I buying? I need to get my car from this city to that city in a four-lane road and I would like it to last as long as I can. Then, you know, if you if you put that challenge out there, then, of course, you're going to look at those materials that go, all right, well, I could resurface that every X amount of years, but if I choose a different surface covering that's going to last longer, then that's going to improve things. Um, if you pick a different line marking um, system, that's going to improve things. Um, and so you just imagine if we take that to the next level and actually trying to do things for the long-term good as opposed to the short-term gain. Um, and like you said, giving people the flexibility to deliver on the outcomes. I think that we've we've really gone from a society where it's almost over-prescriptive now, where, you know, there's a lot of control over things, specifications are becoming a lot more detailed. And of course, we want to prevent a lot of those engineering failures that cause accidents and cause people to get hurt, that cause environmental damage. We want to protect against all of those. But at the same time, the system needs to be fluid enough to take into account all of the new innovative solutions, um, ways uh, of doing things, the people that are implementing them, um, the timeframes, you know, whether that's hey, guess what? We just don't want our maintenance workers to be working on weekends because that's family time. You know, all those little things can't be considered if you're so prescriptive in your arrangements and the timeframes in which you need to be able to get set in. Um, so there's a lot of benefits in flexibility that I think people can can look into as well. And the collaborative as well, Hayley. Because yeah, I, I can fully understand the safety implications of, of letting a contractor loose for example, on um, uh, coming up with their own uh, road surfacing, for example, um, and and it's somewhat um, because you've got a ten-year contract or it has to last ten years, and you're there for ten years. It's somewhat overcome by that. But um, what what we found is a really collaborative approach using the experts from customer versus contractor. Uh, seems to work really well uh, to be able to provide everyone, I think, the confidence that once you put something down, it's not going to be a turn into a health and safety issue or a, or a commuter health issue. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, of course, it's one of those unsung things, right? If nobody's talking about it, you've done your job right. Oh, that's exactly right. It's hard to get used to, by the way. Right? But it's, it's exactly like, no. right. <laughs> like fireworks. I want someone to send me flowers and a card or a present and say, you know what, that's amazing. Like every day someone, you know, <laughs> who, who drives down a road and go, you know what, I'm going to find out who built that road and send them a compliment and they did a really good job of that. Like said no one ever, right? Like, 
I hope someone start. does that after this. We should put like big like QR codes of like, did you love your drive today? Tell us about it, you know. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like to, like you said, they'll ring in and say there's a pothole. They'll ring in and say the lines aren't, you know, the markings aren't working, the lights aren't working, the whatever it happened to be, the sign's broken, I didn't, that should be sooner. I love, they'll tell you all the things you need to improve, but, <laughs> you know, have an amazing family holiday and you're, you know what, that road surface made it all much better. No drinks were spilt. We managed to get there on time. You guys are amazing. You know? <laughs> I say fuel because the roads are so smooth. Yeah, right. definitely. I think I really like the analogy of, um, and I can't remember who said it now, I must have figured out who it was, but this whole concept of that if you're driving along and you go along a little bump, uh, but if you add up all those bumps, it's like going uphill for 30 minutes of your trip. So the, the, the mileage in your car to actually accelerate up all of those little humps is sort of the same as if you went up a smooth hill. So smooth roads are very important for, um, for mileage, um, as much as in petrol cars as electric cars too, by the way. So, yeah, we will get there. And less tyre so, wear as well. Oh, amazing, yes, less tyre wear. We'll still live for the day that hopefully we can get hover cars cranking, but until then we need to worry about tyre wear, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> awesome. So I'm going to round this um, this bit of a, a podcast interview out by just saying well, you've had a wealth of experience and knowledge over the years, um, and I'm sure that there is one thing that you wish you could tell your younger self um, over lots of little different things. So I'm going to hand over to you. What is the one thing that you wish your younger self knew? One thing, Hayley, I think if I had met my future self, it'd be three days worth of lectures. But um, the the most important thing, I think, is uh, to have the confidence to follow your passions. I think I did throughout my career but I needed that constant reassurance and I would like to give my my uh, younger self that reassurance that, yeah, if you do follow your passions, you'll get to where you want to go. Um, and I believe I have got to where I want to go, um, but it's been with a lot of self-doubt. In fact, it continues. So hopefully my older self can come back to me now and give me that reassurance as well. But, um, yeah, it's sustainability, having a a professional role in sustainability and the outcomes that the world is delivering at the moment has been and is really exciting and um and that's definitely has been my passion forever um and i i would definitely like to tell myself that continue it continue it aggressively you'll have fun doing it such great words of advice and i hope that um all the youngsters listening today can actually sort of heed a bit of that that confidence factor as well of just it will it will play out in the end just have the confidence to stick with it um it's not all going to come today it might not come tomorrow but you know in the long haul have the confidence it'll get there thank you ross for joining me today on this podcast thank you Haley. it's been a real pleasure And thank you, everyone, for listening to the People, Planet, Profit podcast. Until our next episode, goodbye.